Welcome to the King's Chapel Podcast. You are about to hear another inspirational message from our lead pastor, Matt Schmidley. It's our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Matthew 8. Last week, we, uh, as we were going through the book of Matthew, we kind of started a, a sub-series within the book of Matthew called All Authority. And talking about the issue of, of the authority that Jesus has, and last week we saw um, authority over, over sickness. Now, when, uh, when Caitlin, our oldest daughter, who's now 10 years old, soon to be 11, uh, when she was about a year and a half, two years old, um, she was already a picky, picky eater. Um, just, you know, she wanted to eat chicken strips and fries and macaroni and cheese, and that was like pretty much it. And uh, some of you can probably relate with that, even at your age. So that's just, you know. And so I remember there was one time that we we've had made lasagna for dinner. I mean, nothing, you know, it wasn't anything weird, just lasagnas, you know, pasta and sauce and a little bit of meat and cheese, just good stuff. And she would not touch it. She wouldn't eat it. And so she sat there, and so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this plate, I'm going to wrap it up, stick it in the fridge, and later on this evening, she's going to get hungry, and I'll get it back out, and I'll give it to her, and she will eat it. The night went on, and uh, Caitlin was not hungry. Turns out she doesn't have much of an appetite. Um, wasn't hungry. So the next morning, she got up for breakfast, and I got the lasagna out of the refrigerator. This was a Saturday. Uh, Felicia was, was working at a salon doing hair, and so she was gone. I'm like, I, I'm going to win this thing, all right? I'm, I'm going to win. So I get the lasagna out for breakfast, and I, I heat it up, and I put it in front of her. You know, she'd have been about Audrey's age, just to kind of give you a mental picture, maybe between Audrey and Stella. She was young. And so, but she, she wouldn't touch it. And so I wrapped it back up, and I put it back in the fridge and waited till lunch. And I got the lasagna back out at lunch, and I warmed it back up, and I set it in front of her, and she would not eat it. By this time, I'm starting to think, it was lunch yesterday, the last time that this girl ate. And so it got to be 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and, and I like to think that I'm a guy who can, who can hold my ground, and I am. This is, this is like the only time I can ever think of that the kids won out. But finally, about 2 o'clock, I'm like, all right, you've got to eat something. And so I got out something, and she ate it. And it was like, it was like the biggest battle over food we've ever had. What I've learned about Caitlin since then is if Caitlin is uh, some sort of issue at the dinner table, and we're like, Caitlin, if you don't eat, you know, maybe, maybe Felicia made a cake earlier in the day. If you don't eat, you're not getting cake. Okay. If you don't eat this, you're going to go straight to bed. Okay. She just doesn't eat. The issue, or at least one of the issues we are facing, many, was, in that instance, to put it in terms that we're talking about here today, is, you know, who was going to have authority over what she ate? Was it going to be her father, or was it going to be her? And she proved to me that day that ultimately she has authority (laughs) over what she eats, um, no matter how long I starve her out. Um, We see this playing right now in a bigger scale, um, in, our, in our global political system, as uh, North Korea again this week launched a missile over Japan, 
um, and there is this escalating tensions and, and shows of force between the United States and North Korea. And, and a lot of it really boils down to the issue of, of authority. Does the global community, including the United States, have the authority to tell North Korea, you are not allowed to have a nuclear weapon, you're not allowed to, to expand that, you're not allowed to do this, or does North Korea have the authority to, to do these, to show its force, to, to fire missiles, to do all of these threatening things? And it really comes down to an issue of, of authority and a battle over who has the authority. Last week we saw that Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. We see three different stories last week of Jesus healing. Um, he healed a leper. He healed a centurion's son. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Three miraculous instances of healing. That if it comes down to a battle of wills between Jesus and sickness, Jesus wins. He has authority. At His word we saw last week, His spoken word Sickness, paralysis, even death can be destroyed. What we're going to see this week, again, we're going to look at three different encounters in Scripture, that Jesus has authority over this world that we live in. He has authority over this world. So Matthew chapter 8, picking up at verse number 18, and if you remember from last week, Matthew's account ended with Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, and then it says that all the rest of the night, people were coming who were sick, and He was laying hands on them and healing them. Jesus had had a busy night. The crowds had been around Him. This was not, you know, put your feet up and, and hang out with your disciples. This wasn't even, you know, Mary and Martha and, and reclining. This was intense, exhausting ministry to people who were sick. Now, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around Him, this crowd for healing, He gave orders to go over to the other side, referring to the lake, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a scribe came up to Him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So, if you get the picture, Jesus is in, in, uh, in uh, Capernaum at this point, northern side of north west side of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to go to get away from the crowd. He's going, to, he's going to sail to the other side of the lake. And a scribe, now this would have been someone who was, in a technical sense, scribe meaning someone who wrote, who would, who would write down, traditionally they would write down, copy, there were no Xerox machines back then, they would copy the scriptures or other things by hand. By virtue of that, as you can imagine, if you're doing that and doing that and doing that, you're going to become very learned. And by, by virtue of that, they became not just copyists and secretaries, but people who were highly regarded in studying of the Scriptures. So this is a significant moment that somebody who was, who was learned and respected comes to Jesus, the rabbi, and says, I'll follow you. In fact, some commentators say this would be an extreme act of humility because the scribe had likely gone through years of training to become where he was. And to come back now to a rabbi and to submit yourself to a rabbi and say, teach me, would be a pretty significant gesture. It'd be kind of like going back to, go back, go back to high school because your high school wasn't accredited or whatever and having to start over. 
And so the scribe says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, verse 20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So here's what we see in this encounter. And we're just going to look at it briefly. You could preach a whole sermon on these verses. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, if you look around at the systems of this world and the systems of our culture and the way things work, I have the authority over those, and I have the authority to demand your allegiance over the systems and the cultures and the ways in which our world operates. Mr. Scribe, you want to follow me? It's going to cost you some comfort. And I have the authority to say to you, if you're going to follow me, at this time, in this place, around the Sea of Galilee, it's going to cost you your comfort. And I have the authority to demand that from you. I have the authority to ask this from you. Jesus, as we see in Scripture, had, had a base, maybe you know, some sort of a dwelling in Capernaum, but he was most of the time traveling, depending on the kindness of people who would have them into his home and his disciples. And he's saying, if you're going to come with me, this is not going to be an easy road. This is not going to be the way that everybody lives. This is not going to be the Judean dream, living the Judean dream. This is going to be a hard road. And then another man says to Jesus, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus says to him something that on the surface sounds quite harsh. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now here's probably what is not happening. It is not likely that this man's dad had died that morning and he's wanting to go to the funeral, and Jesus said, too bad, so sad. That's probably not what's going on. There are a couple of, of issues that, that may be. Um, first of all, it may just be that his father was aging, that he needed to go home and oversee things over his family until his father had died over to oversee the estate. Historically and socially, that's a good chance of what was going on. That it wasn't that, that Jesus, Jesus wouldn't let him be gone for a day. This is probably something, an indefinite period, maybe years, where he would be with his father until his father died. The other issue, it could be, and this would happen historically, is that after the death of a father, it was the responsibility um, in, in Jewish culture during the time of Jesus that one year after the death of the father, it was the responsibility of the firstborn to go back to the tomb to the bones of the father and to rearrange them neatly. They refer to this as reburying. So after the, the, the soft tissue had, had decayed and, and gone away, the oldest son would go back to the tomb and would arrange the father's bones neatly as a final resting place. So in this case, it would be, Jesus, I will follow you, but give me a year. The point is this is that in both of these social contracts, in both of these social norms, in both of the ways that their world operated, Jesus is saying, allegiance to me is more important. Allegiance to me is greater. I have the authority to call you above that. I have the authority to say, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you your comfort. I have the authority to say, if you're going to follow me, there are some social things that you're going to have to give up. 
And the cost of following him would ultimately lead through Gethsemane to Golgotha. And that's what it costs to follow Jesus. Jesus has all authority over our world and the way that it operates. And there are times that he calls us to do things and live in certain ways that aren't necessarily in, in conflict with the way that our world operates and the way that our culture works and we, and we fit in within that. But there are times that the general way of, of being a Christian is completely at odds with culture. And you can't follow and be in the step of culture and follow Jesus. And there are other times that Jesus calls specific individuals to leave father and mother and houses and land to follow him. And for them to not do so would be disobedience. And so the question is, are you, have you recognized the authority of Jesus over your life? To say that he has the right to, to call and to demand from me things that are outside the norms of, of my world because he has authority over it. So they're getting away from the crowds and they're getting on the boat, verse number 23. And if you'll notice, back in verse number 22, Jesus had just said, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And then verse 24 says, and when he got in the boat, the disciples followed him, which is kind of an interesting comparison when you see those two verses together. The disciples followed, the others didn't. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So they're, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. In fact, I think we've got a picture that kind of gives you the view, um, kind of the general view from Capernaum to, um, you know, Gennesaret or the, the Gadarenes. Do we have the other one? That's not showing up very well. Do we have the actual picture? There we go. That's kind of, that's about what it would have looked like. Setting sail here, this is near Capernaum, and you can see on the other side, which would be uh, the Gadarenes, or it has a bunch of different names, Gadara, um, you see the big ridge above the sea, that's going to come in, into play here in just a moment in our next story, but that's, that's kind of the direction that they're headed, across the sea, um, on a boat, headed over there. That would have, uh, Gadara, where they're headed, would have been um, not in in uh, the Jewish territory pop, uh, proper, but would have been, had a lot of Jewish population, but it would have been a Gentile area. So they're headed across there. Jesus needs a break. Just a little bit where you see the, the humanity of Jesus. Fully God, fully human. He had just spent the night, and maybe even more, ministering to the needs around, around Peter's mother-in-law's healing and those, and now he is headed across the sea and he's so tired that he is sleeping in the boat while the storm is raging. And it says that the, that the boat is being swamped by the waves. This is not just like a little rainstorm. And, and the disciples who are in the boat are not Gilligan and the skipper. Um, these are seasoned fishermen. These guys know what they're doing. I mean, not all of them are fishermen, but they, these were guys who knew how to get around this lake. This is, this is how they, they did this every single day. They knew this, and they were scared for their lives. If the guys who do it for a living are scared for their lives, I'm going to be scared too. That's just, you know, that's just normal. That's how it goes. And so they're going across the sea, and the storm is going, 
and Jesus is asleep in the storm. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. We're going to die. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? If you remember that phrase, O you of little faith, came up in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, that those who chase after these things and don't the trust and worry about what they will eat and what they will drink and what they will wear are people of little faith. Um, Matthew's pulling this phrase back in. Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? that even winds and sea obey him. Now, think about this with me. If you're with Jesus, and you'd seen him heal people, and Matthew isn't always, and the gospel writers in general, chronology in the writing at that time wasn't really an issue. So we don't know what all had happened prior to this. Other gospel records seem to indicate that Jesus had already fed the multitudes, that he had done all these miracles, and it's one thing, if you put yourself in the disciples' situation, it's one thing for Jesus to do, you know, this thing with bread and fish and make it multiply, and you're like, wow, how did he do that? That's pretty cool. It's another thing for him to go and, you know, lay hands on somebody that's sick and see them recover, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But for somebody to walk out of a boat and stop wind and waves with his word, that's a completely different kind of man. That's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we just had a healer here. Whoa, I thought we just had somebody, you know, a miracle worker. What, what kind of man is this? Nobody's ever seen this. The implication, I think, from the Scripture is that not only the wind stopped, but the waves stopped. I mean, think about how long, if the storm were just to, to evaporate on its own, think about how long it would take for this choppy sea to to come. And the boats, the way I picture it, I'm, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but the way that I picture it is the boat, I mean, they're about to die, it's about to capsize, and Jesus says, peace, be still, and all of a sudden, everything is calm. You can read an account like this, and you can set your Bible aside, and you can make a nice application about how Jesus can calm the storms of our lives, and that's all true. But the point that Matthew is making is that Jesus speaks and the elements of the earth obey him. That's a completely different kind of Messiah. That air molecules stop moving when they hear his voice. That waves stop moving at his command. This is a man who has authority over this world. Authority over its elements, authority over its processes, authority that when he says, stop winds, stop waves, stop, he has all authority over this physical world. In him, all things hold together. In Christ, through his word, 
Creation came into existence. And through His Word, He has complete authority over this world that we live in. We serve a God. We serve a Messiah who there is nothing that is outside of His authority. There is nothing that is too big for Him. There is nothing that He cannot do. We can call on Him and ask Him, not just for healings and miracles, but if it is so necessary, we can call on Him to command the physical elements of this world and ask Him, and He has authority. He's not going to say, oh, it's above my pay grade. Can't do it. He has authority over this world. And this is what Matthew, if you kind of put yourself in the position of, of the, maybe the first recipients, the people who had never really heard about Jesus, and they're just, they're reading along, and they're not, you know, we, a lot of us grew up and we knew the stories before we ever read this. Imagine if you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, oh, it was this kind of carpenter who has authority even over the winds and the waves. He has authority over the physical elements. What we're going to see in the last encounter, not only does Jesus have authority over the systems of this world and the culture, he has authority over the physical elements of this world. He has authority over the world's spiritual power. And as they came to the other side, this is verse 28, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, this, these are some bad dudes. So, I mean, this, these guys are, are so menacing that you couldn't even walk through. You couldn't even go through. I mean, they, they commanded this. The original audience, as Jesus, Jesus is leaving the area that he's in and headed to this Gentile area, it would have already had this icky feeling to the story, that this is, you know, it's, 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 it'd be like us telling a story today saying, you went to Transylvania and met two demon-possessed men, and you're like, ooh, Transylvania, that's got like, you know, these, it adds to the story. This is kind of what's going on. So they show up, and there are these two men, and behold, look, they cried, the demon-possessed men, they cried. Do you see the word behold? It means look, pay attention. In fact, this is such an, an unexpected story. It's a three-behold story, so this is, this is a, a good one. And behold, they cried out, the demon-possessed men, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? So these men come, the demons speak within, from within them, and the demons recognize who he is. O son of man, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? These demons would have known that the judgment day was coming. It seems that they probably knew that for a season they had free reign on the earth to torment people and to do what they wished. And, and then one day these, demon, these demons are just doing their business with these, these two men and the Gadarenes, and they look up and they see the Son of God. Whoa, 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 you're early, Jesus. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. You're not supposed to be here yet. This is not the time. Why are you here? It's kind of like when you, you know, when, when you were a kid and your parents say, I'm speaking from experience here, your parents say, um, I, I got to leave, make sure and do this chore before I come back, right? And so they're going to come back at 7 o'clock and you're just, you know, having a good time, hanging out. 
And all of a sudden it's five o'clock and you hear the garage door open and you go, oh no, I haven't done it yet. Uh, that's kind of what's going on. These demons are like, well, this is not, Jesus, you are early. Son of God, you are early. Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Verse 30. And now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. Do you know what you call pigs who have demons cast into them? Deviled ham. Abby's just like, no, you didn't. <laughs> uh, that's right. We don't know exactly why the demons wanted to go into the pigs. We could speculate. We won't speculate that on, in the sermon. The point that we're seeing here, though, is that Jesus has authority over these demons. That when it comes to a battle of wills, let us stay, let us go, Jesus wins. They can want to stay, and with one word, Jesus says, go, and they go. And so Jesus grants their request. And he said to them, go. And they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters. And the herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave their region. Why would they beg Him to leave? Because He was a man of authority. He was the man of authority. And here's what we know about authority, is if you submit to authority, things go well with you, to legitimate authorities, not authoritarianism. But if you submit to authorities, things go well with you. If you decide to rebel against true authority, things don't normally go so well in your life. And these people, maybe they had heard about the storm, I don't know, but they see that these Two men who were demon-possessed, who tormented that area. They had seen them, the demons cast out, the pigs dead, and they realized that it, as long as Jesus was there, and as long as they didn't submit to Him, they were in danger. The authority of Jesus demands our allegiance. He has authority to call on us to follow him. He has authority to call on us to do that. And we gladly submit because he is gracious and kind and compassionate, giving his life, using his authority to give his life for us. No one has the authority, Jesus said, to take my life from me. I lay it down. In fact, that's what we see as the ultimate, we won't get to it in these verses, as the ultimate example of Jesus using his authority. No one had the authority to take his life 
from him. He gave it. He gave it. And so this Savior that we serve has all authority over this entire earth. He is the king. He is not just the coming king of of this world. He is the king today, right now. He reigns. And we live in this time in between the times when when the the demon possession and, and the darkness and the sin is still operating, but he is king over this world. And we live in his kingdom and we operate in it and we delight and enjoy in living under the authority of the king because he is a great king. Justice and righteousness are scepters of his kingdom. He rules and reigns in glory. He is the king, and we delight in his authority. But this entire world, there is nothing that is not subject to him. Not the cultural processes that we live in, not the physical elements of the world, and not the spiritual authorities that are here. Jesus is authority over them all. And so we submit. We love him. We pray in faith and in confidence, knowing that he is able, because he is the king. Let's pray together. Father, you gave all authority in heaven and on earth to your son, Jesus. And he is now ruling in that authority And we are delighted to be in the kingdom. And we submit ourselves to the king, to the one who gave his life of his own authority as a ransom for us. Well, no one's looking around with every head bowed, eye closed. I want to give you an opportunity where you are, between you and God, to answer this question. Have you come in here this morning and you need the Savior? You need forgiveness. We talked about how Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be saved, forgiven, and in his kingdom. Maybe you came in here today and you'd say, you know what, that's that's not me. I've never done that. I've never never given my life to Jesus. I've never repented. I've never asked for forgiveness. I've never said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Or maybe for you, you've done it, but it was a long time ago. And you're not, you're not living that way today. And today, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, today's the day of recommitment. Today's the day to start new. And so if that's you, if you've never repented and called on the name of Jesus to be saved, given your life to him, or if you've done it a long time ago, and today you need to make a recommitment, either one of those, if that's you, well, no one's looking around. I want you to raise up your hand. This is your first sign of faith, first step of faith toward God. You say, God, that's me. That's me. Anyone. Anyone. Let's all stand together. I asked the worship team to lead us in the song that we sang earlier. It's a newer song. That at the end of this, as we talked about his rule, his authority over this world that he is, he is the king. He's the king, and there's nothing he can't do. So we are going to leave today with celebration, with joy that we live under the rule 
of a great king, and his kingdom will not end. Empires rise, empires fall. Nations come and nations go, but the son of David sits on his throne forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and no one will ever take his throne, and his rule will not end. He is our king.